to the nomcast the netflix original movie podcast i am your host andrew morgan you can follow the show at nomcast pod on twitter and instagram and you can check us out on the web at nomcastpod.com all right thanks for joining us always glad to have you here listening to us talk everything netflix original movies this week i feel is kind of the unofficial end of the netflix movie year in a in a normal non-pandemic year we would have turned the page with the calendar, and maybe the average person still does, uh, but not me, and certainly not my co-pilot for today's review, also Mike from the award-centric podcast, Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Uh, once the Oscars got pushed back to April, most film critics and podcasters now consider films released before the end of February as part of the 2020 movie season, and Netflix always with the surprises still has one more bomb to drop and that bomb comes out this friday and that is malcolm and marie starring zendaya of euphoria and spider-man fame and john david washington from tenant and black klansman we will come through all the details of this movie from its production shot completely during quarantine to its appearance on major critics top 10 of 2020 lists the film doesn't come out on Netflix until this Friday, so we have a lengthy non-spoiler section to start, and then after a brief warning, we bring it home with a spoiler-filled section after you've seen the film. This movie is getting some incredibly polarizing reviews, so be sure to stick around to see what all the fuss is about. But first, a word from our friends at Forgotten Entertainment. Do you like beer? Do you like podcasts? Do you like beer podcasts? Then check out Crackin' One Open, a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every week, we crack open a new craft beer from breweries around the country. And sometimes the world. We'll talk about how it was made, what's in it, the history of the brew, and the brewery. Then we'll give our tasting notes, and while we're finishing up, we'll talk about some of the latest goings-on in the world of pop culture. So check out Crackin' One Open with Mike and Elise, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dave. And join us every Thursday for a new episode of Two Player Bros, a podcast about two guys who play way too many video games. Join me and Dave as we talk about the latest in Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and VR news, previews and reviews. We have it all, and we play it all. And join us every other week for Post Game, where we play through and dive deep into our favorite modern classics and new releases. That's Two Player Bros, available every Thursday wherever you get your podcast. part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. All right, welcome back. We will get to our review of Malcolm and Marie in just a minute. But first, I want to encourage everyone to check out our guest, also Mike's amazing podcast, Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Mike One and also Mike are great guys. Uh, we've done so many crossover episodes. You guys can go back in our catalog to kind of check out those episodes. And they're super insanely detailed film pundits that produce multiple episodes a week keeping you up to date with all the news and reviews you need to to keep award season going all year round. Uh, it's one of my favorite podcasts, and I encourage anyone listening to check out Mike, Mike, and Oscar on your favorite podcatcher and follow them on Twitter at M.M. and Oscar. 
And of course, if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, The Nomcast, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. All right, let's get to it. Here it is, our review of writer-director Sam Levinson's quarantine miracle, Malcolm and Marie. Give a listen. Hey, man, like you know. I was born in New York City on a Monday. It seems I was outside to shoot by two to noon. All the bad cats and the bad hats doing me a real big favor. I got the bad cats and the bad hats playing it on real good. Yeah, the dime boy. Give me a shine, boy. Just... All right. Another awesome Nomcast and Mike, Mike, and Oscar crossover. Today we are going to be covering Malcolm and Marie, the latest film from writer-director Sam Levinson, who many people know from Euphoria and Assassination Nation. Uh, with me today, of course, because we already mentioned the Mike, Mike, and Oscar theme here, is also Mike from Mike, Mike, and Oscar. How are you, sir? Well, I'm rattled because uh, I'm drunk on movies from Sundance. I haven't recorded on a microphone in two weeks. I'm going through some with Mike One withdrawal in many ways. I'm going through some some Netflix withdrawal. Strangely, strangely enough, Ooh. like there, there's like I haven't been able to watch The White Tiger yet. I haven't been able to watch The Little Things yet. I just went from one festival to another with its international festival. Uh, for a couple weeks there and and then with with Sundance so it's like five six movies a day or three four movies a night dude I am I am like I can't believe I'm saying this but I'm like movied out I'm like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing crazy hallucinations at this point I'm I don't know how much I should like this movie I'm 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 hearing that critical rant that John David Washington goes in my head on loop when I'm sleeping when I'm way awake it is, uh, it is a, a quite a time to be a film critic and quite a time to be reviewing this particular movie in the midst of this Requiem for a Dream moment that I feel like <laughs> I am in right now. Yeah, I need you to uh, settle down and not cross the streams here, Mike. I know you've downloaded <laughs> so many movies into your head in the last couple of weeks that it's insane. But the beauty of this film, Mike, right. is that we both were able to see it in a theater. Isn't that crazy? Yes, and it was beautiful to watch in a theater i think uh i think i could take like i can exhale and i'm glad i did it in the middle of all the festival watching like it was the middle of uh day two and three uh you know right between uh those two days there where i, I went in the earliest showtime i could and yeah i took this one in it really broke it up it broke it up but i'm still insane like i like i mentioned even even with the the theatrical movie going in there that's why i think walking to and from these movie theaters between at sundance yeah uh, going outside and getting some sunshine like andrew i haven't even walked the dog i mean yeah it's been like 14 <laughs> degrees out for three sure. days but i can't even walk the dog because i have a pug and pugs only exist at like you know 40 to 60 degrees they're like californians they <laughs> yes. can't take weather hotter or this <laughs> you know slight dig at the rest of hollywood there no, i was about to like, say well, isn't that the theme of this whole movie and this whole show is just going to keep exactly. digging at california and the coast 
maybe that's why I love it so much because I'm from Connecticut. I'm from the, you know, I went to school in, uh, in New York City and I'm used to, you know, East Coasters. Uh, You're an elitist, that, that Michael. You're an elitist. I, I am a four seasonist is what I am. <laughs> yes. And uh, I definitely did not get a dog that was a four seasonist. So I can't take her out when it's it's this cold. But I haven't seen the sunshine in a while as well. But I, you know, I think this movie, uh, I think this movie kind of encapsulates a lot of that claustrophobia. So I, th- I think this is a, a, a good one to talk about when I'm a little bit, you know, cabin fevered. Maybe we'll I think see. this movie this... was your ray of sunshine, Mike. I, the way uh, you've seemed to been, we've been kind of talking about it off air. Um, for the rest of everybody who needs to kind of catch up with this film, it's a it's a movie that comes out this Friday on Netflix. It's out in theaters uh, in select. Uh, theaters across the country right now mm-hmm. um malcolm and marie is one of those movies that i i know you guys keep track of this stuff on mmo of course but it was a it was a surprise it was a very mm-hmm. big surprise uh not only for people who follow netflix but just the movie industry in general um not a lot of movies were shot during quarantine let alone right. to something that has this kind of gravitas and scale and then uh netflix swoops in and pays 30 million dollars for this movie to acquire it uh and Mm -hmm. it i think it shocked a lot of people and once it started to really get some buzz behind it certain people like your boy scott feinberg i'm not saying he's not my boy i enjoy his work (laughs) um but i know you guys and your your love affair with scott feinberg so uh, i don't want to dismiss that at all i won't deny it i will confirm it here yes but he was the first person that i saw put it in his top 10 of the year and Mm -hmm. it kind of put it on the map a little bit at least for me to just be like wow we might have another netflix oscar film in the mix and um so just to just to get this started for everybody the the Mm -hmm. plot of this film uh is a director and his girlfriend's relationship is tested after they return home from his movie premiere and await critics responses that is um part of what happens in this film (laughs) there is a lot more to that and and even the trailer mike i'm sure when you first saw like a full trailer for this film a film that stars zendaya and john david washington only two characters you see Mm -hmm. them in full black and white view in this lovely trailer that we saw i was pumped from this trailer between the music, the mood and everything. But I will say that the trailer kind of pitched this movie as more in the relationship camp versus what we actually kind of get in this movie. Would you agree with that? Well, because what we actually get in this movie, not even kind of, I was just going to quote you directly from (laughs) the transitional movement there. I'm going to explain all my transitions today because I'm rusty. No, uh, what we actually get, Andrew is, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? I mean, that kind of film uh, reduxed uh, in the modern era. That was Elizabeth uh, Taylor. That was Mike Nichols and Richard Burton. That was a couple just duking it out. All 15 rounds filmed, the one soliloquy after another, ripping apart their character back and forth for three acts on screen. And, dude, you kind of said it, like... This was a surprise for many reasons. This was a surprise for us when we were like, okay, they shot a film during quarantine. Wow, number one. Right. But 
wait, it's sold for $30 million, so it's a good film shot during quarantine? It is a desirable film shot during quarantine, especially after you and I reviewed all of the experimental films yes. shot during quarantine, the short films, and I'm up to my eyes right now in terrible experimental films shot during quarantine and being exhibited at a massive film festival that, right. <laughs> that people are, are, are consuming as paying customers. And I'm very frustrated that some of these films are that bad. This is superior to those, it, no matter what, you know, level you would have this movie at. And I think we're going to have some varying levels, but I mean, this is a quality production and it's a focused production, I would say. Uh, and, and the production values are tremendous. So this movie was not a surprise once we saw that trailer, once Feinberg and some pundits weighed in. But uh, it, it, it's one of those roller coasters right now where I'm, I'm looking at the critical reviews from one week to the next. And it's just it really has been something that was high on everybody's list and then immediate backlash like a week later and what's going to happen next week when this thing lands on Netflix. Oh, I think it'll go right back up again. Uh we'll get to the uh the critical response stuff uh a little bit later cuz yeah, it is <laughs> bizarre. But I I'm I'm with you with the Virginia Wolf comp. I'm with you like I've I've seen a lot of people uh make uh early Cassavetes film uh <laughs> comps uh you know for me uh you know cuz in a way, Noah Baumbach makes similar stories. He's kind of a modern Cassavetes, maybe not as extreme, uh, yeah. especially in terms of composition and such. But I felt like this film, when I was watching it, definitely had... Um, I thought it was almost kind of like a perfect mix between Marriage Story and right. um, and Kicking and Screaming. Um, because kicking and screaming has a lot of you know philosophical debate, larger issue stuff, but also mixed in with pointed you know relationship drama stuff as well, kind of like planning your life. But then you get the marriage story part where it's specifically a relationship that you know and a, and a you know a marriage or or an intimate relationship that you're dealing with that's coming apart while you're also discussing all these big, large scale issues. So I thought it was an interesting combination there too. Um, but you know, this movie, it, it's, it's a miracle. Like you were saying, it is kind of this dynamo, uh, a diamond in the rough here, a two and a half million dollar budget. Uh, you know, Sam Levinson kind of, you know, took Zendaya right off the, the euphoria set after it got closed down and just kind of tried to figure out a plot that could be shot in this time. He sent right. her multiple things. This was not the first idea. This was not preconceived at all. This was kind of reverse engineered. It's interesting, Mike. You're you're a person who went to you know film school and and all these things as well as as I did and had that kind of production background as well. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that I kind of feel like this movie is how indie filmmakers really think in a way yeah. like because yeah. indie filmmakers always have that big idea right that they just can't shoot because they know they don't have the budget for and they end up settling for something that they can shoot and they bring like that easier story to kind of get across the plate to get them notoriety and then have their bigger ideas for when they have the budget for it you got to think small. You got to think minimal mm -hmm. locations, minimal characters, and and to make it affordable. They did this on the fly in a few weeks. 
the shooting schedule was, I think, maybe 13 days. And from what I read, the first few days didn't even factor into the film because they were wow. just experimenting. So it's wild how much they accomplished here. I disagree with a lot of the critical backlash that this movie is, quote-unquote, incomprehensible or a, quote-unquote, bewildering mess or, you know, that I, this author and Sam Levinson, that these that these that this trio really seems to be waffling on the themes that they want to get across and 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 everything they're saying they'll they'll bluster here but really they just don't have the core of ideas they don't have a a a thematic through line that 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 works and i hate those criticisms because to me this movie is clear as day what it's trying to say and and i think we're going to get into it in spoilers but i i think to to tease that right now i I think it's about big ideas. I think it's about, you know, creating art. I think it's about inspiration. I think it's about, you know, relationships where quite simply you hurt the ones you love the most, the most. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think you got to get so deep. Like, I don't think that these critics are being fair by saying something that's very deep on multiple levels that's that has one rant or, or another after a single viewing that they can consume it all and 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 understand the thematic through line and when in fact there's a rant in this movie basically saying that film critics need to put these movies in little boxes these identity politics that play out uh, all the time they need to categorize films this way and this is how they do things and, it, and it's bullshit and it's wrong and movies should be much more flexible than that and this is a prime example it's proving its fucking theme by messing with the film critics right now as a long-winded way of saying that meta score is the reason why this movie is great yeah the, the basically the reviews are straight up polarizing right now and it's infuriating I think yeah. if you're probably on either end, but I will say from two guys right here who are about to get into, you know, a little more of a glowing review for this thing. Um, right. I don't understand it either, Mike. Um, the, the the current scores for for anyone who's curious if they haven't looked themselves, this movie has a 55 meta score. Yeah, but wow. is also somehow on top 10 lists of the year all across the board with Zendaya specifically more getting buzz for best actress at the Oscars. How are those two things in concert? They don't, it, they don't make sense. I actually really went, make sense. I went through, you know, cause I keep track of, you know, I know you're a spreadsheet guy. I know you're a, a person who keeps track of your films in various ways. <laughs> I went through the twenty my top twenty five movies and tried to compare meta scores with any of them. And some of those films, you know, are just straight up genre movies that just I love or whatever, and they're not even contending for Oscars and have yeah. higher meta scores than this movie when this movie might land getting multiple Oscar nominations. I, I really am at a loss with the punditry and the critics groups i mean is it simply the fact that they get called out in this movie like yes. there's some criticism yeah it, it has to be right it has to it has to be that john david washington's just mortal combat 
punches his, uh, well, Indiana Jones or Mortal Kombat, punches <laughs> his fist through their chest and rips their heart out, and then they watch it beat in front of their dying faces. I mean, th- that does happen in this movie, and I think it is a healthy thing for the, you know, the art, the art world to come back at the critics every now and again, because otherwise, like, the, some of these, like, I heard somebody say this movie was boring. That they That's said nothing. Un- unfathomable. <laughs> they, they talk, they talk, they talk, they say nothing. And this is, is a boring film. Like, I I don't understand that. And and then when they say that the thematics are all, all across, all over the place, this movie is symmetrical with what it deals with and when from the beginning to end. I mean, that... What the hell are they talking about? Did they just not pay attention? They watched it at home and they didn't fucking pay attention? I don't I really am upset with the punditry on this one. I think they need to have a thicker skin and you can criticize this movie for a lot of issues. I do think there are issues with the movie. It's not a perfect movie. It's not an A movie for me even though I love it despite its flaws. Like I think you can criticize it for expositional dialogue. I mean, they come home from that premiere and they're like, "Oh my god, I just came home from the premiere and we both <laughs> yeah. just attended it and what a great and here's the play-by-play and going back over everything." And that's annoying dialogue, expositional dialogue, but I get it. They're setting It goes stage. away fast, but yes. It does go away, but it's there. I mean, you can get on this relationship for being somewhat unrealistic or being I mean, I think I I figured the Let's put it this way. I figured the criticisms were going to be that this seems very contrived, right? This 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 seems like it's it's so hyper realistic. Nobody argues to this bloodthirsty level of go for the jugular. Nobody's been married apparently uh, because <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, I've had some doozies in my time, especially when you're younger and you yeah. think you're always right. You know, and you don't learn anything. This right? is this is very similar. And in fact, some of the the dialogue kind of comes straight from a lot of things that cu- married couples or longtime couples experience where they you, like you said, you hurt the ones who are closest to you because you can because you trust yeah. them yeah. with this information or you trusted them with all your whole life. So yeah. when they throw things back at you, it cuts deeper. So, you know, of course, you're going to say the most reprehensible things to these <laughs> other people and with a venom and a vengeance that you've never seen in yourself to that point. Everybody has those moments. Um, but one of the w- things I wanted to say to you is mm-hmm. um, I, I, I think it's actually, especially because they go after specifically this made up you know, kind of character of the new, uh, in the LA times that, you know, I think specifically the larger critical bodies or larger critics groups or, 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 uh, newspapers outlets, if you will, are the worst. They're actually the biggest offenders of panning this film. Cause I think they took it straight to heart. And I agree that I think they need to get thicker skins and i i literally i I shouldn't actually say what i wrote in the notes because it's a uh we'll be uh hitting all the censors but i mean literally in rotten tomatoes this movie has a 59 percent critical score and if you go and you can select where the top critics are separated from the rest of the critics it actually goes down to 41 percent 41 percent that they is took it personally. Oh, Simple they did. as that. They absolutely took it personally. And especially for something that's, you know, it's a, it's hard to say it's a subplot because it's not the real aim. The His film and the reaction and a lot of the 
the scar tissue from potential betrayal uh, yeah. in this in this film is more the issue here than it is about the the critical response to his film. It's a small part. It's not even that big a thing. So I think they took one thing and then looked for blood in in other parts. That you're right. It is. It does have its flaws. It does have exposition and transitional issues and and things that I, I can absolutely point to. But I think it speaks to a higher higher plane in terms of the dialogue and and the issues and the themes that they talk about and they really get to the heart of some matters that have not to my knowledge really been talked about on screen so i was uh quite impressed with a lot of these things and i i I just have no idea uh why it would be ripped apart i also i'm sure you also saw the early stupidity when the trailer came out of people complaining about the age gap between Zendaya yeah, and John David yeah. Washington, that's insane. Especially when we were talking about how this movie is such a unicorn and a miracle and any other <laughs> superlatives that I want to give to it. Um, because this movie was made in quarantine. You have limited people at your disposal. Zendaya was a number one because she worked in conjunction with Sam Levinson to get this movie made. Right. And John David Washington you know, signed on after having to be read 10 pages of dialogue over the phone uh, to have to sign. This is a unique situation. If you get John David Washington, you hire John David Washington. I don't understand the issue here. And that quickly kind of went away, I feel like, after the initial chatter. And then the other uh, early review complaint that I saw was that Mm -hmm. Sam Levinson, as a white man, expressing frank assessments on race uh was annoying to them (laughs) and especially again if you know how this movie came together between how much zendaya you know kind of checked every you know draft every version of this film to really get the authenticity between the two of them uh the characters to go forward and then even during the shooting if they thought something felt false they were correcting in the moment. So I don't understand that criticism at all either. I, I, that was quite the rant in, in your own right. I think we're handling this <laughs> review like they handled this movie in one just huge speech back and forth <laughs> at one another here thus far. So I'm, I, I don't know if I'm Can I get the us. James Brown song then uh, <laughs> for me? I just want to <laughs> kick need, in the Black Caesar real quick. Do we need a dancing interlude first? Uh, then we can get – But uh, God, I wish the video was being recorded right now. <laughs> all right, last part first. You just talked about uh, Zendaya's voice being involved and – I kind of wanted to touch on that as well because, you know, it goes with what you did say first about Zendaya being, you know, 24 and him being 36. And I don't know how you watch her in this film and think there is a, a, an, a, an abusive power dynamic uh, in, in terms of who can sway whom in that relationship. Like, I, it just doesn't exist. She right. gives... As much as she gets, and she kicks his ass as much as she, you know, loses an argument. And I'm saying all this metaphorically. They just argue this whole movie. I also think that Sam Levinson addresses exactly what the critics have issues with and the identity politics 
involved in any movie, he addresses it with a huge monologue. So because he's chewing out film criticism during that monologue, I think critics disagree. And that's fine if they disagree. You can disagree and then still think the movie's well composed. Like you don't have to be... You don't have to be a jerk and say it's a bad movie and I a thumbs down. I mean, I th- look, I, I do think we all bring our morals in. We, we always do. We bring our morals in as film critics. It is a subjective enterprise. Sure. And we all say this. We all say this all the time. I listen to any film critic, critic doing a podcast, dude, and they all will say subjectivity, subjectivity, subjectivity. But when they have a you know moral qualm with a, with a film – or something comes back at them, or you know, they do take these high road fucking criticisms all the time, and it drives me nuts because it's it's not recognizing their own hypocrisy. And in a movie like this, which is made about hypocrisy of each character, these are hypocritical characters, just like we all are, just like you and I are when we get into a knockdown, drag out argument with someone we love. I mean, this is what it's about. It's about that fact. That when we have these big ideas, when we have these quote-unquote convictions that we live by, we're often full of shit. Every <laughs> one of us, we're full of shit. And yes. that's what this movie is, is saying. It's the theme of the movie. They're full of shit. We're full of shit. Maybe we should check ourselves, be humble, and reassess. And that's hard to do. As a film critic, we understand when we see a movie one night and that very night we're supposed to cast judgment upon it in the best verbiage we can come up with. All the powers of the pen put into that review for the next morning because it's got to be out. We can't do the film studies like we do on podcasts as written reviewers. And again, what a time to launch Mike, Mike and Oscar.com when Mike and I are throwing our hats <laughs> into the written review ring. I'm feeling that stress. I'm feeling it. And as a writer who's had writer's block for many years and had to deal with it, I'm feeling that pressure. And I get the anxiety and the stress of that. And I get that this movie touches nerves in that regard from film critics. Never not mind the 100,000 nerves it must touch and needle just in terms of everybody's relationship histories. Absolutely, Mike. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the one thing I do want to touch on before we get too far, just for everyone's sake, uh, we're about a 20-something minutes in and Mike hasn't <laughs> thanked me yet. So I want everybody to note that Mike hasn't thanked me. Uh, and we'll have to do a long version of his uh, thankful notation uh, at the end. So uh, everybody will get that once I see it. Um, I'd, I want to get back to, to the basics here a little bit. Because let's get out of the, the hive mind, the critical stuff, and, and really get into what we kind of love about this movie. I mean, when I came out of it, uh, I, I and even in the research, a lot of the things kind of kept coming up of, what I appreciated was some of the things that Levinson kind of was saying to himself uh, or saying to people in the press. He described the film as two snakes in a jar, <laughs> which I was like, absolutely. Um, and he's like, we're, and we're not going to take the lid off. There's no place to go. And yeah, the interesting thing about this film is that I don't think it feels claustrophobic for being two people in a house having an argument. Yeah. The beauty of how they set this film up with this gorgeous house in the middle of nowhere, probably on like, uh, you know, I think they say Santa Monica or something uh, mm-hmm. in there. And, you know, it's 
it's literally it's a glass house so i get the jar kind of uh comparison here so the yeah. audience gets to view inwards and out this you know stretch this amazing uh you know place that they've rented that they're having this argument in and you get to see from all sides that even from jump street you get to see john david washington's joy setting the music setting the tone climbing on things beautiful shots that track uh the movements as they're going through the house and then also get the intimacy of these this handheld work right cutting these extreme close-ups you know, between when they're at their most, uh, you know, intimate, literally, yeah. Well, well yeah, maybe uh, not whether, their most intimate. Well, they're it, kissing, in, but for me, right, right now, I was going to say, a celibate critic who's living, you know, not with somebody that that seems very intimate to me, and I, I will say most. But no, you're you're hitting on the why this movie works as a chamber piece and why every chamber piece needs to work because Midsommar is claustrophobic, even though that's not. A chamber piece a movie like this with all this camera movement a movie like this with the you know the circling of the john david washington gif that we all see and how that <laughs> camera moves through the the shelves and you got this modern house so everything see-through which is also you know the fishbowl they're living in metaphors work on many levels folks and yeah. this movie has them <laughs> but picking and choosing those moment moments for the extreme close-ups and the the close-ups of them both together, like instead of getting just John David Washington in profile or just Zendaya in profile, will go to both of them kissing. And obviously they're fighting while they're kissing, so it's, yeah. something happens. Or we'll go right to her eyes. And she, you know, to tease her performance, she is a stone-cold killer with yeah. that gaze for the first half of this movie. I mean, you don't see her range until this thing really gets going. I, I'm I'm very impressed with the production values, shooting this on a low budget, shooting this in the middle of quarantine when, you know, again, to be frank, we haven't seen anything of this quality shot in the same way. For sure. And, and there and the dialogue is like these long monologues that we get in, in the in these fiery speeches that in, in the fights that they're in the movie once you get to the end leaves you with the exhaustion that the characters are experiencing <laughs> in real time. I mean, yeah. Is it calling out a lot of hypocrisy? Is it calling out critics? Is it calling out each other? Yeah. It's all that. And it's beautiful because it's multi-layered and you really get to see this kind of this crescendo because it's like for, it, it's interesting that Levinson is also a TV you know, creator as well with euphoria, because I felt like this movie moved in, in rounds, like a boxing match that they would, yeah, that they would literally almost have these moments where you're like, and now we go to commercial break and then we're going to come back (laughs) for the next round of these fights because they would do that. They'd have these interludes where they, you know, reconnect or they, or they separate and then they come back when somebody decides that they have yet another point. And I totally get that as a person who's been in <laughs> those type of fights before, uh, cause anyone in a long term relationship has, uh, mm-hmm. but I also want to talk about the, the muse aspect because I thought I had an excellent idea. I patted myself on the back here. I think this would be an interesting double feature with mm-hmm. Soderbergh's let them all talk. Because for anyone who saw this, for anyone who saw that movie, it's uh-huh. a it's a movie again, mostly set like two thirds of the movie set on a boat, yeah. with you know a, an intimacy 
and this kind of like lingering fog <laughs> of betrayal that is between a couple of characters. Yes. And the reason is because, you know, it's kind of a, a betrayed muse and, and the shrapnel that happens after you use someone's likeness, you use someone's life story, yeah. and then they don't get to express or emote their own lives because a more popular version of their life now exists and they kind of get erased in a way, or they didn't get to do it themselves. So there's always this kind of empty feeling that you, you get from that. And, and Zendaya, you know, experiences that in this film and then, you know, Candace Bergen feels it in the Soderbergh film. So I found it was a very cool kind of like connection I made in my brain. And of course you agree with me. So we we, we can, how could I not? Honestly, you're right on with the thematic connection there. That's, that's fascinating. I think, and, and you could probably as, especially as an Oscar pundit for this year and and Mm -hmm. obviously years uh, to come, hopefully you're doing a fine job. Um, But I would say (laughs) in, in 2020, we have this theme of a lot of the big time Oscar contenders being these stage play adaptations right. or even something that feels close to like it when with how Sorkin does his films. Um, <laughs> you you get a lot of these, you know, we use I think I've used the word claustrophobic more times this year than not because it's these one or two location, smaller things that were adapted from the stage yeah. that have, you know, these characters held within a room that have are forced to confront each other in some way one night in miami ma rainey a lot of these type of bigger sure. films are filling that and this one it feels like it almost should have been <laughs> adapted from like a one act or or something like that and, and brought to the screen but i think they actually won up those films in a in a way visually that I think the blocking here, the cinematography here is more of a standout than mm. a lot of those other films. And it impressed me wildly in that regard. I do think there is probably some advantages for being the one location the entire time to being just these actors the entire time to being, you know, a, a story focused on X, Y, and Z and A, B, and C will also, you know, will also, you know, parallel what's what X, Y, and Z winds up being in terms of the plot. Uh, but to not get any more confusing, I think this <laughs> is a stylized and glorified version of what we're all kind of living in. And I, I do think movies like that can go either direction. Like, right. I mean, yeah, it re- if, if you're on a boat and a cruise and... You have the ability to put Lucas Hedges and three of the greatest actresses in the history of time on a cruise (laughs) together and all of that scenery or to go from one landmark achievement and legendary status event like one time in Miami did with, uh, you know, Cassius Clay, Sonny Liston fight or the, uh, you know, referring to uh, the Copacabana. I mean, again, you don't have that ability here. You don't even have the ability that... You know, uh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf had yeah. where you can go to the bar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you walk out of the house, you can go to the tree, but that movie got on the road. I mean, if this movie was able to be closer, another Mike Nichols movie, right? Right. Yeah. With all that extra style. I wonder if it would help it or hurt it because there is just this clarity in terms of the filmmaking, in terms of the composition with the production values that I don't think we've seen out of any of these 
these films uh, that have been made during quarantine. Like I just watched In the Earth, a mess in terms of. <laughs> <laughs> Look again. Sorry. I mean, I think it's an experimental film. I you know I like Ben Wheatley to an extent. I hated that film with a passion of a thousand fucking strobe lights. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> hated it. I, I, I know I didn't want I didn't want to mention that. Anyway, I'm trying not to spew so much hate, but I've hated some of these movies shot in quarantine. This movie is cohesive, I think, yes. in terms of production values. Even if these two battle axes are going, you know, they're they're clanging and they're coming back and forth, and the and the and the thematics and and, and they're they're making you chase it. Let's just say the story is yeah. making you chase it on purpose. That's why. The the last speech has so much power. Otherwise, I mean, what are what do people want? What do people want other than to be shocked by a final delivery that that levels the entire, I mean, the entire Earth. Never mind the the other character. What the hell do they want? I I like I don't get the criticisms with this movie. I really don't. Um, and and to your point, I did kind of like search my brain because I heard a lot of people say that they think this movie could have been improved. That if they had more time or more more locations, I think that's or, lazy. I think I, that's fucking lazy. I know because to me, even just trying to to you know zone out and kind of like see where this would go, don't you think that like some of the the arguments that because they're coming from a flawed perspective, or at least this person's flawed perspective, that you don't want to see more because the more is going to inform your decision who's right and who's wrong when a lot of these conversations aren't about who's right and who's wrong. It's exactly. about it's about what their perspective means about the relationship. And right. I think that's more the issue at hand. So I, I don't think it would have lent too much to go through like like you said maybe it cuts some exposition if you see them going from a premiere into a car but that's like minimal like i, I, I like but that i don't care if they do it they don't i i i could take it either way it's almost like this movie defends all of its own criticisms from the film critics in this damn movie they, yes. I mean, Sam Levinson has like all these defense mechanisms built in to these characters, and it's very meta on how they're defending themselves in the movie. Like you just mentioned, three things that critics are on it for, and that's addressed in the film. So I yeah. guess we're gonna have to get into spoilers soon because yeah. we'll mention some of those. But again, <laughs> like, you know, we we saw we each saw this movie once, and we're we're kind of doing this is more of a raw emotional reaction to the critics and, and again a lot of them have written good stuff and a lot of them have written positive stuff about the movie and i do think you can disagree with this movie don't get me wrong i do think you can not like this movie i just you know the the, the rotten tomato headlines baffle me you know the, with, with this person criticizing the movie for for this and that and it, it drives me nuts so the oscar lens wrap up here for for me to take the mc duties for a half a second <laughs> That's fine. Awkwardly. But the Oscar lens wrap-up, uh, I think, sh and if I had a ballot, I would go actor, actress, picture, and yes, original screenplay. I don't understand why people hate on this screenplay as much, but it, it's in top 20s for picture with Feinberg and Clayton Davis. It's in top 20s for director. Uh, he's 10th. Right now, John David Washington on Feinberg for actor. He's 6th on Clayton Davis's list for best actor and actress Zendaya's fifth on, on fine on the Feinberg forecast and Clayton's got her at seventh. So they're in striking distance, but only Feinberg has the screenplay out of the two 
of you know the main traits he has it at eight so dude like this movie doesn't seem like it's gonna get in if things keep going in this direction so i think it needs it needs people jumping on film twitter this weekend supporting it like if you guys want this movie to win oscars get out there and change some minds and argue for it you know we're kind of we're kind of holding the pep rally I don't know right. how m- well I'm making the argument because I'm all over the place and I'm watching seven movies a day, but <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, to galvanize the forces. If you love this movie like like we kind of do, get get behind it on and get behind it on social media. Yeah, it's interesting because as you very well know, because you are an uh, award centric and Oscar centric podcast, that the. <laughs> the academy is not a critical body in in the sense that you know yes. if anyone's going to represent this film it will be the oscars but right but what you guys always talk about in terms of momentum and and, and seeing some of these these boxes get ticked off between critical praise you know critic circle stuff or whether it be early other you know like the golden globes is the hollywood foreign press I don't know how much they're going to latch on to a movie like this. So, you know, it's almost, especially with Justin Chang of the LA Times giving one of the worst reviews I, I saw in the Metascore breakdown. Yeah. So I don't know if it will move the needle enough to to get the momentum to get people to watch this movie. But it has two huge stars and it is going to be on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And Netflix, I don't know if they're feeling a bit squirrely at this point in the game uh, because, you know, Chicago seven had some noise. It seems like the noise batted down and then, you know, uh, Mank didn't seem to do as well across the critic circles, which they figure if it's going to be getting any momentum, it would have started there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Ma Rainey kind of made the noise, but mostly for, for performance and not for the movie overall, potentially, at least as far as like, uh, where it may end up at the end of the day with Best Picture. It might get nominated, but I don't know if it's high up on anybody's list as far as the year goes. Uh, so they might be feeling like this is their last, you know, Hail Mary to try to get another Best Picture play, and they might throw some extra weight behind these guys. I don't know. I think they're you know, like Littlefinger and Varys, just like every good <laughs> Game of Thrones reference. I'm sorry, but it, it's what popped into my head. But at Littlefinger and Varys, they had fluid plans. And I do think Netflix's plans are fluid like any good studios would be. I think yeah. they recognize the quality. They put their money uh, where their mouths are by purchasing this film for that price tag. But yeah, this movie has an interesting week, and I'm kind of glad we're getting this review out beforehand. I'm glad we're doing a long non-spoiler section beforehand before the public gets to see it because I do think this week is very, very important. We have a lot of signifiers. We have the Golden Globes that probably won't go this movie's way. I would be hugely uh, confident about this film if it does get some Globes, I would say, I would say because then... You know, SAGs, you would think it would play at SAG. You would think the actors would just recognize what these two are doing. I think yeah, the no difficulty. Brainer. Oh, yeah. No brainer top five performances. I don't know what else you want. I mean, the range is there. The, the, oh my God. I mean, they were just on fire for two hours, the two of them. I mean, again, we'll go over it. But 
I think uh, I think this movie has a tough time this week. I think Critics' Choice. I, I don't know. I shortlist. It's not going to show up in tech categories unless cinematography comes through for it, right? I mean, production design. I, I can't see I it getting cinematography, even though I really think it's a standout. I would love for soundtrack to be at the Grammys because yeah. I think these songs are weaponized in this movie, of course, uh, for their arguments. But <laughs> I, yeah, man, I I don't know if it doesn't come in big, it won't come in in terms of these nominations. And yeah, it does. It does need to come in sooner than later. I would think. Uh, maybe it has. Maybe it has the the late breaking you know, possibility, but that usually happens for Clint Eastwood or Paul Thomas Anderson or Steven Spielberg. It doesn't usually happen for a new film. Like we've seen waves try to be a late breaker. Clemency try to be a late breaker in the last year. Yeah. Those indie films that are hot at the festival or those, those smaller films from the, from the names that are up and comers. Like, I feel like these two established themselves. I feel like Sam Levinson established himself as just an obvious Oscar contender in any year. He put Hollywood on notice with this movie. I think John David Washington and Zendaya put Hollywood on notice and put us as a punditry on notice with this movie. I don't, I don't necessarily know if uh, the cr- the critics came to came to the same conclusion. The rest of the critics, so I don't. But know. here's the beauty of it, Mike. I don't think any of them care. I really don't. At the end of the day, this is gravy for Netflix. It yeah. wasn't in their forecast. It yeah. wasn't in their plans. Uh, John David Washington, you know, and Zendaya. They they helped produce this movie. They funded this movie. They made a fun movie. They get to have this acting showcase that, you know, whether they get rewarded for it, cool. This if is a movie 40, shot in warring. Forty thousand people watch this movie over the next month. Netflix doesn't care. They just want a movie of the month, movie of the week. And I get that. I mean, they want a best picture too. I just you know, I think I think this movie should be considered uh, again, if I had a ballot and it's going to finish high up on the Mike, Mike and Oscars, I think after I get the chance to study it, I think Mike and I will kind of, you know, weigh in on this one again over the next few weeks for certain. But yeah, dude, I, I think, I think it, it is gravy for Netflix, but I also hope that Netflix is encouraged to push it more. And I do think audiences have to take the brunt of that because the critics did not help the film and i don't know if this year's list uh this week's list of nominations coming up are going to help the film so it's going to have to break like a phantom thread like a clint eastwood million dollar baby or something else you know well mike i mean you would know better than anybody i mean we we talked about i talked about it with amy smith uh from film for thought on the pieces of a woman podcast that we did the review podcast for that (laughs) netflix keeps coming up with new ways to cannibalize themselves like you have Hey, Viola Davis is shooting to the top of uh, Gold Derby's uh, Best Actress thing. Oh, really? Here comes Vanessa Kirby. Oh, really? Here comes (laughs) Zendaya. Like, they're just going to keep rolling them out, and they're going to keep kind of jumping in front of each other playing hopscotch, and then they might end up having to cancel each other out, and then it might end up just in the lap of of Frances McDormand or, or Carrie Mulligan. So... I, you never know. I don't know how these things work in the eyes of people or how people are reacting to Netflix this year in general. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, 
but I still think she has the best chance to be nominated. You yes. know, I haven't seen The Father yet. A lot of people haven't, uh, unless they were at Sundance last year. Uh, but you know, that's a movie that could steal a lot of spots. Uh, I'm I'm mostly talking about uh, Anthony Hopkins here because I think John David Washington between the late break of Judas and the Black Messiah. The father well, and yeah, some of well, other ones. Kaluuya is going to be in supporting, but you're you're right. Oh, I'm sorry. Of... Lakeith Stanfield doesn't earn your praise just yet. I don't know if you've seen I it. I but... don't hear what what I'm hearing for Kaluuya. Like Kaluuya is like he might be taking hold of that category if the pundits are be- to believe believe right. that this moment. I'm going to see the movie tomorrow. Tomorrow. Wow. I'm seeing the movie tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> but uh, there's some good things about Sundance. Anyway. And a couple weeks on HBO Max for everybody who's a uh, normal. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I, you're right to say that best actor is very crowded and it, it's crowded with some, some immovable nominations for sure. Like Chadwick Boseman, Chadwick like Boseman. Anthony Hopps, Hopkins, Delroy like Lindo, Delroy if, Lindo yeah, for sure. sure. Stephen Yun is making a lot of noise. I'm missing some people because I don't have it written down, but there's, well, Gary know, Oldman. I don't know how people are going to treat Gary Mank. Oldman's behind. Yeah. He's behind probably John David Washington right now, six or seven to Gary Oldman's on the outside looking in. So I don't know. And again, that's something I'm very surprised about because I thought that was some of his best work in Mank. Anyway, this is this is a long non-spoiler section, but for <laughs> for a good cause because you guys probably won't see this movie till the weekend and do see this movie and watch it for certain. And Mike, throw the uh, spoiler music in before we, we say why. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> Spoilers ahead! This is a spoiler. Warning. Spoilers. Spoilers. So this is the spoiler section. This is where you want to be if you have seen Malcolm and Marie already. Uh, this is definitely going to touch on some some serious plot spoilers that may, in fact, really spoil this one. So don't listen to this. Like, if, uh, if uh, you have not watched the movie yet on Netflix, I know we're putting it out a little early, but we're doing it for, for a reason. Anyway, you can see this movie in theaters uh, if you're okay to do so. But look. Andrew, to dive right in, I did say quite a bit in the non-spoiler section, so it's also an immediate carryover, that you can criticize this movie. And again, you know, these are my opinions. It's all subjective, right, right? We all say that. But we do have some worse scenes. We do have some issues with this. I'm not going to... I'm not going to say that if they had more time because literally john david washington spits in this movie he's like you could say that about every fucking movie yes the critics shouldn't be criticizing what's not in the movie because that's just you can never be wrong it's safe it's lazy it's bullshit and yeah i that's why that criticism drives me up a wall but all right you 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 said your worst is simple and, and and kind of focused so before i meander for a second what's your worst on this movie yeah, I mean, I kind of brought it up a little bit before earlier. I think there are some, uh, like, 
I think it's it could probably be about ten to fifteen minutes shorter, and the yeah. reason is because it does meander towards the end of the second act, and specifically, there's this one transition that bothered me, and um, and it like basically is the hinge probably from the end of the second act to the third. It's the right as John David Washington goes to the bathroom after they're getting more and more intimate and he wants to kind of hold tells her to kind of hold that thought and then goes to the bathroom and comes back and by the time he's back mm. Zendaya is crying and then wants to pose yet one more question mm-hmm. in, in a movie full of just one more question um and brings up kind of a a, a bomb it's something that the movie really wanted to you know, get across, but I yes. thought it was very, very poorly moved from one piece to another. It lost all its momentum, literally as their relationship, like the intimacy lost its momentum with him going to the bathroom. <laughs> I thought the movie also went to the bathroom for a few minutes um, to kind of say that it kind of, it broke up in a very odd way. I thought the conversation was very awkward to start, even though the meat of the conversation, like most of this movie, is important and should be discussed, um, you know, because she brings up how, you know, she did audition for this movie, that why he didn't cast her Mm. in this movie, because this movie, for everybody, uh, is joining now in the spoiler (laughs) section, this movie is based on her in a large regard. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, they discuss how maybe it's an amalgamation of, of many different people, but ultimately she is the person who, you know, was a drug addict, got clean uh, in her early 20s. And that is what this character in this fictional movie that, uh, you know, uh, that John David Washington's character made. So when they get into that discussion, it it warms up a little bit and gets there enough but mm-hmm. man, that transition just bothered me. I was like, it just sucked the air out of the movie. They grinded it to a complete and utter halt for him to take a pee, gr- pee break. It's hard to it's hard to disagree with you there, even though I kind of laughed when <laughs> I really laughed hard when he walked back in, ready to get back, back yeah, into yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. and, and she's she, crying. Yeah. yeah, and you just knew. You just even though I'm not laughing while she's. You know, you're you're in that extreme close up of her of the one tear running down her face. It's, right. it's awkward because he's taking a piss during it. I mean, you're not hearing the piss, but it's yeah. it, it is awkward. Yeah, the the transitions for this movie, if it was like done not during the pandemic, like would they have a beautiful song that would play on my iPod a hundred thousand times during right. my sophomore year of college? Like closer did of Natalie Portman walking through the you know whatever uh, walking uh, sure. through the crowds in New York City. I mean, if they were able to 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 go from one uh, location to another, you know, could I mean, could they have ten different characters and 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 split this plot up and or split these themes up rather? Yeah, uh, you know, can you have a Leslie Manville? I mean, this movie is like Phantom Thread to to me, even though that's done kind of on more of a, a level of metaphor and th- th- than this movie is. This movie kind of spits it because it has to because you yeah. can't have New Year's Eve and you can't have, you know, I guess you could have certain things you find 
in the yard. Anyway, that's a spoiler for Phantom Thread. I won't talk about it. <laughs> I wonder what this movie would have been if it wasn't in the pandemic. I wonder if it would have been helped or hurt. I wonder if it would have been more conventional, according to critics, right? And I wonder if they could have smoothed out some, you know, like a, f- a few transitions, like you just said. My biggest issue, though, is probably just it's more of a me problem, I would say. But I, I just, you know, and it's a big problem. Like, I'm, I'm surprised critics didn't go into this problem. Like, nothing I've read so far is about this. But, like, if somebody who attempted suicide, who's a raging drug addict, who's probably got defense mis- mechanisms, who's been lying for years. I mean, we've all heard about, and, you know, unfortunately, I've lived with an addict who's, I mean, look, I just have some personal experience and my personal experience is not everybody's personal experience. Of course not. And I don't have personal experience being an addict other than nicotine or something. Right. So what the fuck do I know? I don't know if I could ever talk to a drug addict. If I could ever talk to somebody who's attempted suicide like this, like that's a major, major hurdle, I would say. Like, how can he go there with her, knowing how vulnerable she's been her whole life? Like, yeah. I mean, I this movie constantly contextualizes, which is, I think, the brilliance of the original screenplay, and right. suspends my disbelief. And the fact that she is, is as tough as nails and in complete control of at least her countenance, making you think she's in com- complete control of everything, even though she gets rocked back and forth. But she she wins this movie, let's be honest. Well, well she definitely gets the final say. She gets the final word, let's just say. I, I feel like she gives it to him uh, more, if not worse, but definitely more. The quantity's there. And she's controlling scenes, even though he has the midpoint. Dude, I I am like really surprised that they dealt with addiction in this way. They dealt with somebody who's has mental illness issues in her character this way. Like that, that would be more of an eggshells, you know, walking on eggshells type of character. I would think I, but maybe that's the waspiness in me. Like I'm, I'm, you know, no, I agree with you. Maybe that's my friends. You know, I don't know. No, I agree with you. I've dealt with, uh, you know, there's a decent amount of uh, friends and family that I've had to deal with with you know, mental illness, also yeah. recognizing my own mental illness, uh, you know, and, and, you know. I'm agreeing uh, with you. You are completely off. No, I mean, <laughs> of course, my, for myself as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Notate that in your thank you speech at the end of all this. So um, what I would say, I, I completely agree. I, I, I think she is playing it. You know, she is rock solid in this film. So if she's supposed to be played as unstable, no. um, yeah, you know, it true. doesn't come across in a lot of this film that uh, that does register false at times. It's deliberate, um, too. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, if you make her unstable, then she's that trope. Then she's that Cassavetes trope, which he was critiquing as well with the woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown, et cetera, et cetera. And with Promising Young Woman just... I mean, skewered. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that about Promising Young Woman. Uh, the fact that 
let's have the man call the woman mentally ill and then let's prove him the dead dead fucking wrong right and but let's also say that hey <laughs> maybe she is uh, a little bit but it's not because you said she is yeah but also the movie probably doesn't work if you know they're both unhinged you know because no. john david washington's character in here you know i think she even calls him out for it uh you know doesn't um <laughs> doesn't is not an intermediary he's not gonna play anything down in their relationship no, he escalates, he escalates. Right. so i mean you can't have both just keep ramping the situations twisting the knife in a more vicious and high-toned right. uh way but they explain that in the film they explain it correct that that, that he escalates things because he has to de-escalate everything at work so when he gets home and he lets his hair down he escalates things again hurting the person he loves the most the most it's yeah. just it, it and she calls him out on it she calls him out for going too far and of course he goes too far and how does she diffuse him at, the, at that magical midpoint when he has completely gone over the line just skewering her when she's in that bathtub and she kind of yeah. knew it you know she knew he was gonna do it he was outside just cursing like you know ralphie's dad in a christmas story right. yeah he's outside you know getting his argument ready he comes back in and he lambastes her right then and there and yeah. How does she diffuse that? She plays the song. The whole reason she was she got him mad to begin with, yeah, because he, they thought the fight was over, and he played the fucking song that was so on the nose and it pissed yeah. her off, and it was this fake ass apology. And then she played the song about being the you know like she like this this woman the Dion Warwick song. Yeah. Oh my god, it was the perfect song. Yeah, which so. Let me ask you, because I think uh, the big thing, like we mentioned with the with the trailer that isn't really mentioned, uh, the big aha in this film is the fact that this movie is based on her life. Um, What did you think about? Because we kept saying, you know, it's kind of it's a boxing match. They were trying to go for this upward trajectory in terms of um the 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 chronicling of their relationship and and the each round escalating yeah. up to yeah. a new level did you feel I, I the one thing i guess again i could kind of criticize is that i think they hit a peak and then went down as the movie went i didn't think that the way it ended was at its high point that it was like reaching some kind of i don't think you get a conclusion out of this movie in a way I think you get to what needs to happen to end the argument. Huh. Um, but I think the more passionate and really more compelling arguments and more compelling themes that they fight about, I right. think actually peaks midway and then backslides a little bit to where they were trying to figure out kind of how to land the plane. Like, I think they knew that they n- knew how yeah. to, to to get him them to kind of say thank you in a genuine way i think that works i i definitely think it works again i would probably hate this movie if i thought it really backslid for an hour plus or whatever um but i think the actual the the thank you speech that she creates and all that i think that's that's on her reel that's that's the good (laughs) stuff but i i don't think it's the most impressive argument that they had 
I would agree with you that this movie peaks in the middle, like the fucking truck going over in the dark night. And again, yes. the, the midpoint supposed to be that in, in, in story structure. In many cases, I think the revelations escalate. And I, you know, looking at the end of act one where she, the reveal is that he didn't thank her. Right. And that's the kickoff of the argument. Like, cause you're wondering why she's giving him the coldest look ever while she's making a Mac and cheese. And I was about she, to say cold shoulder and hot Mac and cheese oof. is an odd pairing. <laughs> and that like acting while eating. Holy shit. John David Washington. And then she from afar in those mat, those long shots, given all that she gives. I, I just, I, I think this movie escalates in terms of the, the revelation plot that it is. I do find closure in it for me though. Like I don't like, that's why I'm wondering, you know, how to distinguish this. Like I walk away from the dramatic irony of her giving the thank you speech that he should have gave her as like the perfect fuck you. I win the argument. Right. <laughs> and then I walk away from him conceding as the biggest apology he could give her for for the midpoint, for that horrible just ripping her up and down in the bathtub. Right. And because there's no like there's no way of getting beyond that. Like he is rebuked throughout this film, and so is she. Don't get me wrong. I mean they they give it to each other. But he is thoroughly rebuked in this film, which is also kind of Sam Levinson and John David Washington and Zendaya, I'm sure they all had a part to play in the, the screen screenplay. That's also done for the film criticism rants. Like yeah. that's my biggest issue with the film critic getting you know their feathers ruffled by this movie argument. The fact that she weaponizes that review at the end and shows him how full of shit he is for getting mad at a rave review because he's a stickler to some things that uh, she actually thinks he he should be needled for. It's not a perfect film. Like you, you were so arrogant. That she's telling him throughout this film, like you, you couldn't imagine another man loving me better than you have, and you can't imagine a better movie than this. So anything, any slight criticism, you immediately knee jerk react to that. It's it's vicious when actually, hey, because you're not a woman, <laughs> you don't get me the way sure. I, you know women get me and the way this character this uh critic this critic karen from the la times got me in the viewing experience and she calls him out on that and gradually he does admit that throughout the second act but again this is why this movie's symmetrical it's symmetrical because you have you know kind of the beginning of act of, of the after the midpoint it, it lines up with uh what you had going, you know, going into that scene before the midpoint where he right. chews her out. And if you widen it again, it's like an accordion. You started out with the thank you speech argument. That's the, the act one reveal. And then you finish up with the fucking speech, the thank you speech that he should have gave. I mean, yeah. again, I just uh, like how, to say this movie isn't composed well or the screenplay isn't written well or it's incoherent. What are you talking about out there? I don't I don't understand that. Is this movie going to put a bow on every single rant that they go on, every single theme that they touch on? No, but that's the point. Like, there's supposed to be characters that don't have everything figured out, in my opinion. Like, 
I don't think they land on like I think there's counter arguments in this movie. And and for the film that's why I'm upset with the film critics getting rankled, because there's a counter argument that she brings back at him. Yeah, flawed characters with flawed arguments and you're hurt at something to to take it as gospel is <laughs> annoying and uh, you know self-centered. So I, I, I can't see why why that should be uh, an argument going forward and to really derail a movie that you know I've said many times is a freaking miracle the degree of difficulty to pull this movie off and make it coherent and to m- land points and to really even kind of bookend something in a what a movie that was I think if I remember correctly written in a couple weeks yeah shot in a couple weeks <laughs> and then distributed and bought for 15 times its value. I mean like come on now. It's it's an impressive feat up and down. Now I think what happens here, right? Especially in your circles uh, uh how it travels. I think once it went from isn't this quaint? Like isn't this great that they made a a movie right. that works? in this in this environment and then so and now once it escalated to oh this is going to be a late entry into a year full of best of the year movies best yeah it's i think that's when people are gonna really take the claws out on a movie that like i said doesn't deserve it even on its face but even considering the high degree of difficulty in execution it's it's mind-boggling that's the frustration of a year like this andrew because i wonder if this movie had a chance to play at every single film festival i mean they pulled it after tiff right but if it had the chance to play at every single film festival i wonder if it could have built the grassroots campaign in terms of you know the the typical way that a sam levinson kind of breaking in that a John David Washington and his Zendaya, I mean, even though he, well, no, he, he got snubbed, didn't he, for Black Klansman? Oh, my God, my brain. They, yes, they're so. trying to break through at the academy level, the best of the year level, with the, with the best in the business voting uh, on, on their work, being up there with the best of the year with these big names. The, I, I think when you're trying to break through – you need you need that campaign that is is not going to surprise you. Let's just say what you just said about this movie having wildly uh, erratic expectations from for the audience. Like it, it came out like, all right, maybe this is a pleasant surprise. Like this is number one, it's a surprise. Oh, it's a pleasant surprise. It's they, they bought it for a lot of money, and then. Oh my God! It's an Oscar contender, right? From Pleasant Surprise, it just went it from like ranked number seventieth as an underdog to the number three contender on the on the on the, on the fight list, right? Right. And then people watch it and like, oh, it's it, it got so it was so underrated. No, that it's now overrated and vice versa. It just yep. keeps flipping. It went through the machine. Yeah. yeah. And that's not and fair. Unfortunately, that's it's... not fair to a movie that should be just hey, this is really excellent, and let's. And I think if it had the ability to just, you know, uh, uh, grow on people and sink in for people, that that that's what I'm I'm afraid of right now. It's just it's a movie that is so in your face, middle finger to the world, that maybe people are are are, are fatigued, especially now when they're reviewing 
it, it's a rough time for this movie to come out for the for the well, maybe not the public, but definitely the critics heading into you critics know, for sure. Yeah, it's it's a hard time to digest the movie this deep and this inquisitive. Let's just say because it's it, and and for a movie that touches as many nerves as, as it does, like I said. Although maybe they'll appreciate it more if they did come out of Sundance like yourself and kind of seeing what what the what the high degree of difficulty to pull off something like this is. I mean, just the monologues alone mm-hmm. should impress everyone. But the fact that they accomplished this in such a short amount of time, minimal crew. I mean, Zendaya and John David Washington provided their own costumes and did their own makeup for this freaking movie. Let's let's all celebrate how this came together and how good it actually is. And th- that's what's frustrating to me because no matter if critics say that, all right, the sum of its parts don't work, the parts work. Like there are scenes in this movie that if you take them one by one and you analyze them, like, oh my God, some of the best tell-off scenes in the last 10 years since yeah. Mike Nichols, since... All these great adaptations that have been, you know, crafted on the stage and performed on the stage for decades before they get a feature film release. That's why this is so much fun. It seems like they really caught lightning in a bottle. I mean, these are there are like three or four great scenes in this. I mean, fuck. I mean, that 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 delivery uh, when she's in the bathtub, the bathtub. Yeah. Oh, and the composition there, Mike, is unbelievable. And and then the uh, both film critic rants. I mean, if there's really a trio of film critic rants, because she has the final, she has the hammer on that. Yeah, well, all three of them are epic. And again, I want to I want to play them to check myself. Yeah. <laughs> before I write every review, I like I should have I should get it on audio so I can listen to it before I write every review. But then again, I may not write any reviews because I may be frozen in an over analysis equals paralysis type of frozen writer's block if i do that but God. yeah mike if you if you want to have a fun uh, exercise <laughs> with me i was like because yeah, uh, they make a point in the film uh because he is a black filmmaker that he gets constantly uh you know compared to other black John filmmakers that it, right right correct character, and, character and, and, <laughs> yes and you know malcolm takes exception to that and like why can't i be compared to other, you know, I think he mentions William Wyler um, yeah, yeah. as as an example of like what he could be compared to, and you know, I kind of said yeah, and and then I turn around and I'm writing this kind of review, my notes or whatever, and I'm comparing Sam Levinson to other white Jew, Jew or what you know uh, mm-hmm. directors and stuff like that, and it's like oh, am I doing that? But I'm not doing that because of cultural comparison. I'm yeah. doing that because of composition but does it ma- like i don't know I-, I got the paralysis uh immediately trying to like box right. things in but that's the identity politics argument that he makes uh about how critics have to compartmentalize and frame things because you know pr- they're probably you know forced to take this bird's eye view before they're ready and that's what's frustrating that's why you know podcasts like this I hope we can be like the conversation after the movie sometimes, and I hope at other times we can be the film study. I hope yeah. that, you know, yeah, our Mank review, I watched that movie six times. I was confident, <laughs> ready. This movie I watched once, and I 
I feel like I have a lot of raw emotional responses here, and maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. Again, Mike and I are going to have to touch base, and you know, no offense, Andrew, we have to see this movie again, we have to keep studying it. That's what's so cool about award season. But again, critics are at a disadvantage, just in in the in the mere structure of their work requirements, I would right. say. And, and but they acknowledge that in the film. They acknowledge their limitations in the film, even though it's after a slew of insults. <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's the problem. And they, unfortunately, people listen to insults. And it's like the loud man who's laced with profane. It's like, you know, if you're loud and you're profane in your argument, you are the asshole, even if you're saying, well, no matter what you're saying, I guess. Right. right. I mean, we've all been it's there. It's the Bill Burr argument for yeah. sure. <laughs> If you're yelling and screaming in the argument, just take a knee. You've lost. <laughs> You've lost. Yeah. <laughs> All so, right. We, we yeah. kind of been hitting on a lot of our best scenes. We probably should try and wrap up pretty soon here. We have yes. we have a couple epic showdowns. I think, uh, I think the genius of them teaming up against the critic in that second half in terms of story mm. structure is – I think that's brilliant. Now – it de- it, it kind of put it, it's an awkward well, I'm not going to say it's awkward like it's typical though right I mean she calls him on it later but the fact that they go from him just eviscerating her to her you know a half hour later laughing at his criti- you know his his rant against the film critic and they they they're on the same team again for a few moments before she says, "You know what? Actually, the film critics are right about X, Y, and Z, and you're an asshole for everything you said before." And then she comes back <laughs> right. to him, and then I I just think the the rebuild to the moment when she says, uh, or, or when she does the fake uh, scene for him, yeah, that was which must- I thought that was actually the most impressive feat of the film, and why she's probably in any. And every best actress conversation. It's undeniable, in my opinion, because the performance within the performance, the fact that you're guessing, is she true? She just went out to the tree. It was she did she have drugs stored in the tree? We still don't I mean, kinda know. I mean, we don't know. But the fact that she actually sells him who knows her the best and you know that he's sold and the with the knife and he wants to get the knife away from her, and my God, he's reaping everything he's sown throughout yeah. the film yeah. in that one moment for her to regain the upper hand after getting knocked down three times in round whatever it was yeah from the bathtub i just think i just think that's as good as cinema's been this year i think that's one of the best scenes of the year from zendaya and and his reactions to her i just i'm i'm blown away by that scene in particular you say what you want about the rest of the movie but that one is in the time capsule for me and Mike, I think anyone who, like I said, I'm a, I'm a married man and, and anyone who's had these <laughs> relationship stuff, the one thing that I can appreciate the most with this film is that I saw this movie by myself <laughs> and that I was surrounded by two or three other couples yeah. around me who sat in silence after the movie ended with the lights up not looking at each other and you know the reckoning that that is gonna have this movie can have on a couple going home and i was just like i am awesome for the fact that i'm just gonna get my keys and 
get the hell out of here. <laughs> you're you're a smart man, and uh, you're you, yeah. I I was in the same boat. I probably we probably should have told this story in spoilers and warned people or non spoilers. Anyway, you got to record your intro still. I recorded, my <laughs> yes. but tell people don't go to see this with your significant other. This is the <laughs> worst movie to do that. They should know, right? They should. I mean, you're a smile. Well, then again, I don't know. I, I again, I was there with a couple couples. Yeah. And it, it was scary because I'm a single doofus laughing my ass off at some even the ironies that I'm not supposed to laugh at. But there's some, there's yes. some just I can't believe they went there. Shit in this movie. I'm laughing at it it's four or five times, but I didn't hear a peep. I didn't hear a word <laughs> from behind me at all. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway. Yeah. See this. See this by yourself. <laughs> that is good. So do you have more? Do you have more stuff? I mean, we 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 love the mac and cheese. We, we love mentioned it, right. that. The like the the superlatives for me are mm-hmm. that scene with the knife. The the mac and cheese scenes are always great. Uh, him just going in between arguments and shoveling mac and cheese into him. Anytime that, and I think the trailer covers a lot of them. Anytime that John David Washington leaves. <laughs> is hilarious because he's like in a field just cursing and swearing and punching yeah. the air yeah. and yeah. and then when he's outside and he barks at her it's hilarious like just even these things that don't seem to match tonally to the movie just end up being hilarious or really well done and I, it to me i i almost wish and i know black clansman kind of rides the line but mm-hmm. i want to see him try to do a straight comedy i would wow. i think john david washington <laughs> would be really funny in an actual straight comedy because i think that's kind of the denzel washington charm isn't it like you kind of have this <laughs> can ride both sides do whatever you want because he just holds the command of the room and i think john david has the same background has that same gravitas in a way he's not his dad and by the way yeah the range this guy pulls off between tenet and here and zendaya going from marvel films to here is everything And, and again Degree of difficulty, range, everything, great performances. This is why we do it. He goes from, yeah, a James Bond movie to a John Cassavetes movie. And yeah. He's, he's got all the gravitas in the world. I, I I don't know if I said it in non-spoilers, but they should never worry about casting Zendaya or John David Washington again in Hollywood for anything. No. They can handle it. And this is their, this is their establishing... Uh, this is this is them establishing their careers uh, right here, and that's I'm really glad that happened for somebody during the pandemic, other than Netflix. I th- and, and especially it's ironic. Her. Well, but you don't <laughs> understand. I know you're close to the ir- irony here, but Netflix won the pandemic. We all know that at this point. The fact that one of their movies actually launches two careers into the stratosphere on Netflix. This should be these should be the careers, at least from my perspective, from the Oscars perspective, like that's that's got to happen with these two. Like, how are they not leading every, you know, every any Oscar vehicle that they want after this movie? And Zendaya more specifically, because she's at a at a point in her career where prior to this point she's playing teenagers and this really is uh, a coming of age (laughs) even though she's 24 (laughs) you know but that's how 
it, it works in Hollywood, you know, where you're, you know, in your early twenties, you're playing teens and then you, then you're playing your own age and then immediately you're cast aside cause you're too old. So it's a, it's a weird system <laughs> that this goes through, but she's, I think just hitting her stride. I think these are two actors that are, you know, cause John David Washington played football early and, and really is kind of, you know, a late breaker in terms of this, even though he has the pedigree of his family, I think he can only get better because when I saw him in black Klansman, I had one opinion of him. And then I think it's just keeps ratcheting up. Yeah. And I think he's just doing more and more and becoming his own. And I, you're right. I, I would trust, either of them in any style movie going Anything. forward and yeah let's do a comedy why not <laughs> <That's> <laughs> funny. uh and i'll take your word for it as a comedian um all right so let's put a bow on it final grades final thoughts uh dude i am i'm rating this movie highly and i've done this a couple times this year where i've kind of jumped over the you know the uh the line of demarcation that i've been i haven't been able to jump over yet many times this year Right. I did it with Soul. I'm going to do it again with Malcolm and Marie. It's like it's one of the top movies of the year for me right now in terms of grades. I still got to study it. Mike and I still got to weigh in. But I'm an A-90. minus I haven't gotten many A-minuses this year. An A-90 minus for Malcolm and Marie. How about you? I'm a little bit lower. Uh, like I said, there were some things that just didn't work for me and, and certain transitions uh, within the film, um, which are understandable because I know – relationships are messy arguments are messy but for how precision they were in a lot of the blocking and cinematography and then to go kind of like be a little ham-fisted towards the end of the second act kind of dropped me down a little bit mm -hmm. uh but like i said you know soundtrack <laughs> cinematography the performances definitely keep it high um i would say i i think i probably have it at like an 86 87 Very range um, you know, you know me, I'm not always the, the hyper specific point maker as you, but I feel like it's, it's, uh, if you want me, as I said to you off air, if you want me to really hone in on being the mic one for you, uh, it's another solid movie that I thoroughly enjoyed, but didn't jump out as like this standout film that I'm championing this year. And we have a three point, four point curve, whatever that is. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I, Mike and I always have. And Mike, uh, I think this movie, to its credit, and like any good movie, uh, would probably enhance that number on rewatch because, you know, yeah. uh, you, you can really get into the, the nooks and crannies of this one. And that's why, I'm, even though I, I relish the fact that I was able yeah. to see this in the theater, and I think it really commands the room um, and and because everybody's so front and center. I think that this movie on Netflix will be, you know, the beauty of the instant rewatch to kind of go, well, I thought about this when I first watched it. Do I still feel this way? Yeah. You know, and then put the podcast on, you know, so. Uh, sorry if I'm short sighting it now. We'll yeah. revisit it later. But I would feel I feel yeah. like I think of the true Oscar contenders that I've seen again, mm -hmm. uh, Nomadland and The Father, notwithstanding. Um, I think it's probably like fifth or sixth of yeah. the majors. Yeah, you know for for that. So you know it's still in high standing for the year, um, but just you know, interesting year. <laughs> it's a, it is an interesting year, and I've been. I've been like really low on movies that a lot of people loved and that I've, I've rewatched like Palm Springs is a, an example of a movie I didn't like 
when I first watched it, I got mad at, and then I right. watched it again like a week later after I reviewed it and got frustrated and picked a lot of nits for some reason. And sure. now I rewatch it. That's a funny ass movie. And I was <laughs> probably, I, you know, I've changed my mind on it. It's really right. weird. I really like that movie now. And it's, ha- it, ha- it happens before where a movie hit, you know, hits me emotionally so hard the first time. And then I nitpick it later and it comes sure. down like Crip, Crip Camp. Bru- bru- just killed me emotionally. All right. right. It's a archival footage. I watched 80 docs this year. A lot of archival footage. <laughs> docs. Maybe I'm not as high. And that movie lost some points. It got, it got down to it. 89, 88. And we reviewed that at the beginning of the year. I was like 91, you know, so th- this has yeah. happened. Tenet was, that was way. also start of the pandemic too. Right. So <laughs> Tenet, we're like, w- everything is great. <laughs> yeah. Everything's great. What could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Andrew, listen, in my intro, I talked about what's coming up next for MMO, but uh, what do you got going on next at the Nomcast? Well, um, I was very fortunate to kind of do the press junket stuff for To All the Boys I Loved Before 3 coming up, uh, and I was able to talk to Michael Feminari, the director uh, of that film, awesome cinematographer for the Mike Flanagan movies for anyone who you know knows all that work as well so um excellent guy uh great conversation so that will be coming up soon for us uh because that film also uh drops in a couple weeks and you know and then there's some other interesting stuff that's kind of um you know it it might have uh, you know some late break stuff probably not (laughs) uh but uh but we'll see uh with that like uh something like i care a lot uh, the trailer that came out for yes, that, uh, you know, Rosamund Pike uh, looking insane in that movie. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, just uh, a ton of genre stuff, like some horror flicks might pop through. A James Wan one uh, seems to be hovering around February, too, but hasn't cemented their date. And, you know, uh, there's, you know, some... Amy Poehler stuff and some other, you know, just more just fun stuff that's coming through. So they always keep me on my toes. I'm probably going to try to beg you to come on to do a Netflix State of the Union for the upcoming year. Uh, we already kind of teased uh, the the action movies that are all coming out, these huge blockbusters that they're doing. And they're kind of going huge with all the money that they got from the pandemic. So good for them. Uh, hopefully it produces good films and, and keeps my podcast more entertaining every week. Well, you never had to beg me yet for any i pretty much <laughs> like you call me like hey you want to do the half of it and i'm like yeah i'll sure why why not i'll try the half of it and it winds up yeah. becoming one of my favorite movies of the year and yeah uh, congrats yeah, on we, their uh, what they get a independent spirit nomination right, yes. for that right no but you and i we've done a ton of stuff this year you got your own category uh really or uh, i forget what i'm calling it it's a playlist really you got your own playlist web page it's going to be on my website mike and i's website oh uh, that's or so nice Andrew and I's website at this point mike you're editing <laughs> and you just cursed at me but you cursed <laughs> at me much earlier because this was very long very long episode oh mike i miss you and andrew i'm so glad that you you know you're able to come through in the clutch for mmo once again and for all the mmoers out there make sure you subscribe to the nomcast listen to andrew's pod every week you're doing two a week now sometimes a lot of bonus weeks uh for you uh 
uh, you know, th- th- throughout the th- throughout your time. I mean, you were one a week for forever, but now a lot of bonus episodes, scoring interviews, and all that cool stuff. So, one of my favorite podcasts to listen to, man, and uh, keep it up. This you almost said thank you in this, but I'll say I'll consider this your, it's uh, good your mac thank and you. I'm, to, just, I'm yeah. saying it through a mouthful of mac and cheese, right? Excellent. <laughs> Well, thank you, Mike, for for doing this with me. Another excellent crossover, buddy. We did it. I love you. Thank you. See ya.